No, I'm fairly certain that is exactly how Jessica Drew is. No way. No way would she pick that. Well, it just so happens that we can settle this with an outside party. Dennis? Uh, yeah. Hi. Um, what was it you needed me for? Uh, we, we needed you to settle something regarding uh, Jessica Drew's character. Oh, uh, okay. Uh, is this about her changing costume? Uh, definitely not. We love the new costume. Well, is this about the story of her becoming a parent? Nah, that resonated pretty strongly with both of us. Okay, then what did you need? We needed to know what barbecue restaurant she would like best. <laughs> oh, boy. Well, Joe's KC is definitely the best, but Jess mostly eats whatever trash food is the closest to her mouth. So let's say Zarda. Ha! I told you! All right, all right. You got me again. With that out of the way, are we ready to talk about comics? Yes. I'm Christina Edelman. And I'm Chris Edelman. And this is Chris's on Infinite Earths. The podcast where nothing will ever be the same. Welcome, readers, to this special bonus episode. Uh, we have, as you heard in our open, a guest with us here today. Please welcome to the program, Dennis Hopeless. Uh, how you doing? Thanks for having me. We're doing great. Um, so as all of our readers would maybe remember, since I guess the episode that was just before this was also not really on track, it was our Acts of Friendship crossover. Yeah, and don't forget all those tie-ins. I think there's probably still a couple still coming out right now. You've got to listen to all the tie-ins, guys. you got to listen to all the tie-ins. Well, anyway, before that, we were talking about Spider-Verse. And one of our very favorite things to come out of Spider-Verse was actually this run of Spider-Woman. So we really wanted to have Dennis, a fellow Kansas Cityan, on to uh, talk with us about his Spider-Woman run. Yeah, it's one of the favorite things I've ever done, so I'm happy to talk about it. Oh, fantastic. I don't want to, like, really put you on the spot, but your Spider-Woman run is indirectly responsible for this podcast. Okay, and, and let me explain <laughs> a little bit here. Since Chris and I got married, he'd always kind of pushed comics my way that he thought I might be interested in. And I'd read a little bit here or there. And I was like, eh. And he's like, guess what? Spider-Woman's pregnant. And I'm like, what, what, what now? <laughs> and it was the first run of comics I ever like read and really looked forward to coming out every month. And so it's, it's basically, uh, I guess a big reason as to why I read comics today and why Chris, uh, made me think it was a great idea to have this podcast <laughs> well that's amazing i love hearing that yeah it's uh especially the pregnancy arc and after is has always been a little bit weird because i feel like if you have kids and have gone through especially if you've had kids fairly recently it resonates because it's very much what, what i was doing and like my girlfriend for instance who has no children does not get it at all it doesn't understand that part and didn't really get into the book until later so it's really, like, it's nice to hear uh, when it hits, and it's awesome to hear that I'm responsible for anybody reading comics, so thank you. <laughs> well, I think when you started it, our first kid was, like, a month or two old. Oh, yeah, I'd, I'd just given birth. <laughs> yeah, so, yeah, it was, it was, resonated pretty strongly Yeah, you us. were in the thick, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah it was like... There were definitely, like, issues that I read that I was just, like, in tears. I was like, oh my gosh, this is so right, and it's everything that I'm feeling right now, and it's amazing. Yeah, I was, uh, I 
I think my kids, I've got twin, they're now four-year-old boys, but I, they were like five months old when I pitched it. So yeah, I wrote all of that stuff very much in the, <laughs> in the throes of new parenthood. Right. Well, I, I would have to be remiss without asking a few, uh, a few questions. This one is, comes mostly from us, but, um, fr- friend of the show and fellow podcaster, um, I believe you've actually been on his podcast, um, Zach Jenkins from at Xavier Files. Yes. He just wanted to know a little bit more about how the comic was originally pitched, especially pitching in the midst of a crossover, since it did, like, most of the run has definitely kind of its own voice, even, like, starting with that that fifth issue right. of the first volume. But it's, it's we thought it was interesting, like, I was going to ask this, and then he asked it, I talked with him a little bit after, and I was like, hey, don't want to steal your question, but I was definitely going to ask that. <laughs> did you pitch it independent of the crossover, or did you put a spin on it after finding out it was going to be part of a crossover. I was just, I love to kind of see how the sausage is made. No, what happened with that? I wrote, so I was, I wrote Avengers arena for 18 issues and then we jumped straight into Avengers undercover. Mm-hmm. And I had been in the X office at that time that I was doing Avengers arena as well. So I was doing two books for a long time and both of them kind of ended at the same time. Cable and X force and arena ended at the same time. And we were jumping into Avengers undercover and I needed a break. I was like, I only want one ongoing. Like, the schedules were crazy. I want, you know, like, I want to keep my artist fed. I want one book. So for a second, I had one book, and it was Avengers Undercover, the sequel to Arena. And it was basically, let's do Avengers Arena without a hook we can sell. And so the book got canceled five, six, seven issues early, and I didn't have a job. So Marvel was looking for something that they could give me really quickly that... I could do and then kind of sink my teeth into after. And they wanted to launch a couple of different spider things out of Spider-Verse. One of them was a Jessica Drew book because she'd been a big part of Bendis's Avengers stuff. And I loved Jessica Drew, so I was all about it. But they're like, here's the thing. The only way this makes sense is if we start the book in the middle of Spider-Verse to get the sales from Spider-Verse and also to kind of explain what's going on with Jess would you be willing to do that? And I'm like, oh yeah, that'll be great. Like, that sounds like a lot of royalties. Let's let's <laughs> jump into the middle of an event. Uh, and it was a nightmare. Spider-Verse is awesome if you read all of Spider-Verse. Spider-Verse makes almost no sense if you read one character and what they're doing in between the raindrops <laughs> of what's happening in the main series. No, that, and, that's absolutely true. Yeah. And yeah. so that's what I was asked to do, is to, like, not only write a story about Jess and Silk and Spider-Man Noir, but it has to hit these beats and it has to flesh out and explain these things that Dan's going to do. And Dan Slott had this crazy Bible of all the crazy stuff that was going to happen. And I was supposed to take a couple sentences here and a couple sentences there and put together a story. And what we have, I think reads fine if you read it in the omnibus, makes almost no sense by itself. Partially because those events are very long and get written over a a number of months, and there are things in the second, or the third and fourth issue that completely changed after I'd already written scripts. So I had to go in and make stuff make sense that I had set up previously. So yeah, the first four issues of the book, it was just a nightmare. Like (laughs) I was rewriting all the time. It was very difficult to keep the thread of it making any sense. Also, the butt cover drama happened in the middle of all of that. Yeah. Um, so yeah, it the book <laughs> was very much it was very stressful and very difficult to to love 
um, even for me. I love the I love the character, and you know, like I I like the editors, and I like the collaborators I had, but it was awful for four months. So or four four issues worth of work. Um, so when issue five came around and they're like, well, you can kind of do whatever you want now. And Hey, we had this butt cover drama. So like, we should definitely lean away from that. Like, well, we already changed our costume. We were, we were already going in a different direction that already didn't make any sense. So yeah, let's, let's lean in that direction. So you can kind of tell, I think if you read it, that issue five, that it was like just saying, I'm tired of all of this stuff that Dennis hated writing. (laughs) (laughs) crazy crossovers i can't explain and being a tied to avengers stuff that has nothing to do with me and people talking about my butt all the time and i'm just gonna go do my other thing over here um so yeah we that's why issue five reads so much like a first I mean, it would have anyway that's where the story would have started anyway but we leaned hard into that like this is something new this is something different this is taking jessica drew it in a direction that is not only different from what you've seen before but also really easy to explain to your friends you know like it's it's like somebody wanting to go do the real life normal street level version of superheroing but they don't remember how and are kind of terrible at it and that's you know that's where we went man that i i uh i was we were reading all of spider-verse kind of in reading a little bit of well actually i think we we i, I binged your run in the last couple of weeks um again um uh, mm-hmm. but just that even things like in the main amazing there was events and then you had to kind of put your own spin on literally the same event in in another spider woman issue i couldn't imagine how frustrating that would be without having seen like a finished product first when it would change some of those specific events i was trying to do something that wasn't going to be in the other book and it ended up being in the other book so what i did like didn't make sense anymore and contradicted it and the only option we had was just kind of lightly rush them on it <laughs> like this camera's over here um and yeah it was it was really frustrating and i think it i think it all reads fine in again in the omnibus like if you read everything it's fine but by itself it's utter nonsense mm-hmm. so when you were pitching the comic were you originally planning jessica as a parent or is that something that developed later on or how did that come about yeah no the the original pitch was just jessica drew wants to be a street level superhero slash pi and is mm-hmm. terrible at normal life so it doesn't go well um yeah so i want to take this person who's like kind of great at being a super spy ex hydra agent avengers character but she doesn't remember how to make coffee you know and that was that was my pitch and we did that and sort of just found like a really fun take on frustrated Jessica Drew and a really fun relationship with uh, Ben Urich. And mm-hmm. I mean, Roger came out of nowhere. I just like Porcupine's costume. And <laughs> it turns out that that dude is more fun to write than anything I've ever done. Uh, so yeah, we, we found this weird like Rockford Files in the midst of the first arc and sold okay and everybody loved it. And Javier Rodriguez is like the greatest storyteller i've ever had the honor of working with and he was doing stuff with panel layouts and action sequences Mm -hmm. and just blowing our minds so when we got to secret wars where everything had to change the mandate was every book has to jump forward eight months and every book has to change i was like i don't want to change anything 
Like, I, you know, this, that what we're doing is going really well. Like I, what I would have loved to have done is take the road trip issues and make those actual arcs, you know, like or that issue where we show a little road trip. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah. But we had to change something. And I, again, I was, I had twin babies at home that I was dealing with and that were breaking my mind and changing my whole life. And uh, I was like, well, eight months, like, let's just make her pregnant. And my <laughs> editor was like, oh, that's cute. That's hilarious. Like, yeah, I'll come up with a real idea and bring it to the retreat. So I, <laughs> I went to the creative retreat with nothing. I mean, I had, I had an idea of doing something with Hobgoblin, which kind of became our last arc. And I didn't know. But I, the something about this book is about Jessica Drew being bad at real life like wanting real normal life and being bad at it like let's hit her in the face with a two by four of real life like this could really be what the book already is like we could you know we could really turn up the heat on what we're already doing if they let me make her pregnant and i brought the idea up again to nick lowe the spider-man editor but it was during a spider lunch in the middle of the retreat so dan slot and bendis were at lunch with us and they both loved it they were both like, oh, my God, it's eight months. It's an eight-month jump. Why did nobody do pregnancy? Also, Jessica hates kids. Like, this would be great. That would be really interesting. <laughs> um, and so we took it to the room with their approval. You know, like, Dan and, and Bendis were like, well, we'll jump in and have your back. But when I pitched it to the room, everybody, like, it was sort of the same reaction. Everybody looked around and was like, no, yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Like, you know, normally we don't do those sorts of things because so they age the characters. But Jessica's already the, like, older female spider character the mm-hmm. movie rights are tied up in a way that you know it's not going to piss off the movie people and like why not that'll differentiate her in really interesting ways plus it you know it, it, it's a female-centric story that isn't what you traditionally see in in superhero comics so mm-hmm. like yeah everybody was just like weirdly on board and then yeah then it was just a matter of how the hell do we do this like how do we a pregnant superhero fighting crime doesn't really make sense uh, so how do we do it in a way that isn't going to be the opposite of the butt cover? Like a huge, mm-hmm. a huge disaster the other direction. Right. Um, so yeah, I mean, that was all I had was just, I want to keep doing the book I've been doing, but let's make her pregnant. I loved how you handled her being pregnant and the crime fighting and just like the limitations of it was so real for me. Like I'm, I'm a teacher and like, Another adult would never even let me like stack a chair on a table when I was pregnant. And it was so frustrating. And so that, that felt so absolutely real to me. And I, I loved, I loved her. I loved the comic where she gave birth. It was amazing. (laughs) Yeah. We, I, I wanted to hit those points without making the problem with it was that the tricky thing was it makes people uncomfortable to see pregnant women in any sort of peril pregnant women in any sort of peril which is why they mm-hmm. don't want you to do anything but also you're not made of glass you're not like your body's designed to do this you're an adult right. human you can do things um and so yeah that frustration is something that i which obviously i i had i talked to pregnant women and i talked to my ex and i talked to, to people to, to to get these experiences because i don't oh. i didn't go through them um right. But yeah, we wanted to to show that stuff without then having her go beating up a bunch of bad guys. And the closest we got really to that, I think, is in that short from Amazing Spider-Man number one, where she like beats up some bad guys with produce that she throws. <laughs> um, that's a, yeah, I mean that's the closest we got because the the compromise I think was always going to be 
Die Hard in an Alien Hospital, where a superhero who could normally just kick everybody's ass has to be really careful and crawl around and avoid hurting anything. And then we, you know, yeah, then we gave her that. She gives birth. And at that point, her responsibility shifts and she can go kill all the scrolls. Um, which I, I didn't realize how cathartic that was going to be to write. But I, I think it also, like, readers liked that they finally got to see Jessica Drew be Jessica Drew for a hot second mm-hmm. after all of that avoidance. You said before that you really liked Jessica Drew. Like, what, what draws you to her as a character that makes it really interesting to write her? She She's a very good person who, who's very impatient and <laughs> <it's> <laughs> frustrated easily. And I relate to that so much. <laughs> I think it took me a while to get to a place where I could just let other people be dumb um, without accidentally uh, barking at folks. And I think Jessica's <laughs> in the same boat. Like, she's very good at what she does. She's very outspoken. And so she has a tendency to just yell at people. And I don't know. It's what's great about Han Solo. Like, Han Solo is fundamentally a good person, but he behaves like a bad person and sounds like a bad person sometimes. And that, like, I think that's what she's, that's how she's so different from Spider-Man. Like, Peter Parker is making jokes and trying to be fun-loving and trying to do the right thing all the time, even when his life is going to hell. He tries to be positive. And Jessica is not positive very often at all but she's very good you know like she's 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 heroic and and she's helpful she just might tell you how much it sucks while she's helping Um, (laughs) and that yeah that's the thing i really really um i'm particularly a big fan of the fact that jessica is very competent at certain things um like especially like superheroing it there's very few issues where it feels like ultimately she's not gonna at least like beat up the guy that she's facing Right. Like, there might be a lot of other sorts of problems along the way, but she just always seems, like, hyper-competent. But then there's, like, also the issue where she doesn't have bowls. Right. So it's just, she's, like, yeah, absolutely terrible at some things. And it, it's, it does kind of seem like a, yeah, like a Han Solo, where he, he can't, like, keep a ship together, but he can, like, pilot it fantastically. Well, yeah, um, all of my favorite people are broken in that way. Like, people that are <laughs> so good at what they're, are so great at what they're good at, but maybe can't really function beyond that. Um, it's, yeah, you see that a lot in comics. I, I know um, comic artists in particular who are just geniuses, but cannot organize a refrigerator, like cannot be expected to have any sort of real normal job. And yeah, I feel like that's how a lot of superheroes would do. Like, <laughs> like Batman has it way too together, you know? Like he's yeah. clearly broken psychologically, but he can run a company and like, plan everything all the time and keep in shape and eat right and keep alfred happy like that is not relatable to me somebody who's great at one thing (laughs) and everything else is not great like that is relatable to me i i almost wonder if that's that's almost like a like a slogan marvel could have because it seems like so (laughs) many of their characters are, are are you know like great at one thing terrible at this and I, I mean, I think it's why I, I tend to, to lean a little bit more toward the Marvel side. And I feel like it's always, it's always been things like that, even since I was a kid watching like the Spider-Man cartoon and going, oh my gosh, how's he going to beat the Green Goblin like and pass math? Right. <laughs> yeah. It, it, that relatability is, is huge for me. It's, it's, what I, it's what I try to find in every book. It's the thing that's most fun about writing is like just taking the human condition and then making it super heroic. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, DC does it sometimes too, but part of the problem is those characters were all created well before 
Yes. And so they're more archetypal. Yeah, yeah. No no yeah, no shade to DC, but they are like sometimes like very much like the good cosmic guy. Sure, right. Right. So Carol. Carol and Jessica are such great friends. That reads really well. What parts of them make them fun to write with each other, that that friendship? The thing that's the most fun about it is that they're close enough, they respect one another enough, and they're I guess comfortable enough in their friendship that they will just go at it like they they they've like the real world they've stopped being polite and started being real. Like, <laughs> they if they disagree they will disagree loudly um which i think is probably why people ship them so much uh because yeah they just they just will openly scream at one another and will have you know knock down drag out fights about things because they're passionate about it and they're two people i think who work because they're very different um, you know, they, Carol's kind of great at everything and she's very organized and she's very military and, um, very much the opposite of the hot mess that is, that is Jessica. It's like the opposite. It's like the soldier versus the spy, right? There's the one that's really good at slicking around. And then there's the other one that's very good at like leading the charge. And yeah, so it's fun to write people who love each other enough to kind of bark at each other all the time. I always say that you can tell when my family or any member of my family likes you because it's when they'll insult you to your face. That's exactly. Just, you know. Kinda... Which felt both pretty good and pretty <laughs> weird on like the first time I met all of them. I'm oh like... yeah, you were in like right away. <laughs> I was like, wow, these people are really mean. <laughs> you know? Yeah, they're just we being love each silently, other. If they're just being silently polite, you know you've done something wrong. Yeah. Right. <laughs> I just come from like, like Southeast Missouri where I feel like people are just often just very polite to you even if they don't like you but they're also polite to you if they do like you so that was kind of strange to me meeting your your st louis oh, family well, yeah yeah you're pretty darn close to the bless your heart region oh, of the pe- country people have said it <laughs> down there so the development of roger from a goofball villain to a capable hero is like also one of my favorite parts of the run um, I could kind of put myself in that character as like someone who is married to a very capable woman who is just kind of trying my best some of the time. And um, so what what was your inspiration really for writing Roger? Like you said earlier, like you just liked the costume and kind of went, went from there. Yeah, I've put Porcupine in lots of stuff because when I first started doing Marvel books, uh, I realized you can't get the heavy hitting villains all the time, you know, like they're, they're tied up and other people doing them. So I spent a lot of time going through um, official handbooks of the Marvel universe and online uh, lists of characters and stuff and just looking for cool costumes and cool power sets and stuff. And Porcupine's costume is the best thing ever. <laughs> so I put him in Avengers Arena in like, there's an Arcade's birthday party sequence in that. I put him in Avengers Undercover at the bar, at Arcade's bar in the Vigalia. And I just love him. So we, when we were going to do the uh, missing wives and girlfriends arc where the supervillains were being extorted, mm-hmm. uh, I just threw Porcupine in there uh, as on my list because I like his costume. And when it came time to do the, the chase, like the bank robbery and the chase, I just thought he had a cool power set for that. And then when I was, you know, was writing the next issue and just had him tied to the radiator... Uh, I needed a voice and I wrote him, I didn't write him like the dude from Big Lebowski on purpose, <laughs> but that's definitely what he sounds like. 
and once I like my editor pointed that out and I got it in my head and then I'm like, well, I'm writing this character as long as humanly possible because that's really <laughs> fun. Uh, and yeah, something about that guy, that like kind hearted, bumbling criminal and Jessica Drew's impatience was just so much fun to write. And, you know, like, like a lot of people who you don't initially respect, especially like, I feel like at work, a lot of times you'll meet someone, you don't like their personality very much, you don't respect them. And then because you work with them, you find out they're great at certain things that you may not be good at. Or they like, you know, he's really good shade tree mechanic or whatever and can help me with this thing. Roger is really good at being a normal person. He's really good <laughs> yeah. at like, keeping the kitchen clean and taking care of his kid. And he's got experience she doesn't. And that, I think, once I found that, like that really surprised Jess and she wanted to, she, she needed him. You know, he became like part one of her people. And then I swear I didn't plan any of the rest of it out. Like it just happened. I just realized. Mm -hmm. Uh and I've heard people say that about, especially about like TV show stuff, like, oh, we just noticed a chemistry. So like, I love Veronica Mars and Veronica and Logan apparently was a thing that just happened because it was chemistry between the two actors. They didn't, and that is 100% how Jess and Roger happened, is mm -hmm. I just wrote them, found something, thought it was fun, and then realized that Roger was in love with her uh, <laughs> like three quarters of the way through my run. And I said, I should probably do something with that. So yeah, it all kind of happened organically. And the eight month jump, I figured like, it makes sense. Like if they had been in this for a year, she would have been trying to rehabilitate him and he would have gotten better. Also, she'd need somebody to throw the punches while she's pregnant. So it, it kind of just made sense. Yeah. I, I love their love story that it's, you know, wasn't forced. That's probably why it's good. When it came out of nowhere, because I didn't know it was coming. So <laughs> like we were able to like accidentally foreshadow it. Yeah. Like I don't think you could have done that and had any of it land if the book had been shorter, if we hadn't started at the very beginning. Because right. we snuck, mm -hmm. we, yeah, we, we slipped it in on you. Um, so, with that in mind, talking about wrapping up the run, would, did you have in mind any future stories for the run, even though it, it did end nicely? I was frankly amazed we got anywhere near as many issues as we did, because they launched Silk at the same time, so we were already competing with another really good female spider book, and usually that means, you know, like, Either both of them don't last that long or one of them jumps ahead. And then Spider-Gwen happened completely out of nowhere. Um, oh, yeah. Like, that was supposed to be a one-shot. And I'm really good friends with um, Jason and Robbie, so I was thrilled for them. But I thought, well, this is not good for my book because this thing's a cultural phenomenon. And it didn't end up eating us. Like, the Spider-Women and the fact that Silk and Gwen were such good books and so different, I think, actually pulled us forward. So I was amazed we got all the way to the Hobgoblin arc. And the fact that, that, you know, we got to tell the love story and Roger's death and <laughs> resurrection. And then, um, yeah. And then got to end it with like a big pullout on their happy family. Like I, I didn't, that was more than I ever thought we would get to do with them. Like I would write those characters forever, mm -hmm. but it's never a very plot driven book either. It was all very character driven. And I hit every character be beat that we had discussed so, you know, if they gave me the book back tomorrow, I could write it easily for 12 issues without having to think about it. But it's not like I had some board of dream plot lines that we didn't get to touch. Oh, well, that's that's actually kind of fantastic that you really got to hit everything you wanted to. Yeah. I, I know you said that you if you you could have you maybe would have expanded out, I guess, the road trip issues Were some of those like I definitely could have I could have hit maybe a full issue of those. 
the the thing that was basically Jaws that was pretty great. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, th- like those they had to be crammed in because of how little time we had before Secret Wars. Um, right. But I again, it's not like I intended to do those as as whole issues. It's just whenever I came up with the idea and started plotting it, I'm like. Oh god, I gotta do that in a page and a half. Like this is really fun. I wish I could have had half an issue for this. I um, actually kind of loved that. The how fast it all hit. It was just like this montage of like Roger screwing things up and <laughs> Jessica fixing it, and it was kind of wonderful. Right. It worked really well, mm-hmm. largely because Javier's a genius. He took just nonsensical panel descriptions and turned them into these awesome like case files with with sequentials in them mm-hmm. um so yeah like it probably reads better as it is than if i got to do a whole fast and the furious arc but but yeah <laughs> like i enjoyed writing it so much that i i would have expanded those yeah I, I you've kind of answered a question i had which um which is that javier does these these incredible spreads where it'll be like uh like a scene in motion or even like when they were in the hospital in the black hole and it was just her kind of going through things in this weird sort of psychedelic alien scape so that was i wanted to know how much of that was collab or if he just like really took off with it he takes off with everything at that stage i think i described everything that was there but had no idea how amazing it would be when it came in like i i kind of was just throwing like weird stuff she could crawl past out and he (laughs) made it into this amazing like rube goldberg thing and once I realized that that's just what his brain does, I tried to give him as many, like, let me describe a family circus cartoon <laughs> with Jessica Drew and see what he'll do with it. Um, <laughs> and some, eventually, I would do, I would give lots of character, like, um, facial expression notes and stuff with lots of dialogue on the talking head sequences. Like, this is what's happening. This is what their faces are doing. And this is what it says. And he would give me just gorgeous beautiful acting every time and then if it was something crazy i'd just be like for the next three pages and then give him a big paragraph and he would go to town and then i if need be i would go put dialogue on top of it but almost always you'll notice they're silent and it's because i would get it back and like well that doesn't need words (laughs) (laughs) and i i some of that hospital stuff had captions over it but i got rid of them when i saw it because i'm like well she's not talking and this is amazing i just want people to look at it and then when we got to tiger shark that tiger shark issue where she ends up in the sewer yeah um that's barely written like i just came up with an idea and said like page couple of sentences javier go because he wanted to do a big fight issue and i feel like we had to do it pretty quickly so i was just like i'm just gonna give you a crazy mostly silent thing and let you go to town and he made me look really good because it's a really well-written issue that I did almost nothing. Yeah, that one also has a fantastic cover. Yes, yeah, it's one of my favorite covers ever. <laughs> so yeah, he could take a sentence and turn it into the most gorgeous double-page spread. He can also take issue five. Issue five, I think, is the post... Issue five of the second The baby issue. The, is like, the baby issue, right. Yes, I think, yeah, I think that is five. I wrote an impossible to draw one act play. There is more dialogue in that issue than any three Marvel comics have ever had or should ever have. And I gave him things in there that are just flatly impossible to draw. And I said, cut whatever you want. Like this is, this took me two and a half weeks to write because it's really personal. And I have a lot to say about this. 
but I understand it's not a comic. Like, feel free to just draw what works, leave what doesn't, and we'll make it work. And that man somehow drew a comic where every single one of those words not only fits, but makes sense and looks like we did it on purpose. And <laughs> I, like, I've never been more blown away by an artist taking taking something and turning it into something else. I thought it was un- undrawable. The editor thought it was undrawable. And it's one of the best issues that's ever had my name on it. And that's all him. Yeah, it's it's our absolute favorite. If if I if I recall you too, uh, Christy. Yeah. Yes. I think you like you were you were a little teary after reading it. Mm-hmm. I, yes, I think I mentioned that already. But yes, definitely. L- let me just bring up times you cried for the listeners. <laughs> I cry a surprising amount during comics. That's good. That means we're doing our job right. It's, yeah, it, I, it's like I cry during like comics and pro wrestling, and like I can't explain that to people. <laughs> Oh. I get it. Okay. So the costume redesign, you mentioned that that was kind of already part of the plan, maybe the original part of the original pitch idea, but how did that come about? Uh, and it also, side note, it's really excellent and it's much easier to cosplay. I don't know if you remember, but a few years back, I did that cosplay and took a took a photo with you at a Comic-Con here in KC. I do remember that. I, that's my maybe my favorite thing about all of this after the fact. Now that I'm not writing anymore, is that I have, I have written a very cosplayable character, and it's always <laughs> yeah, it's always awesome no matter what it is, whether it's like a small man or a very pregnant woman. Like the costume just works, and so I think that's great. I mean, the bottoms um, being like black pants is like definitely a good start, right? Um, I mean, I think that I don't know that it was a mandate to make it super cosplayable but that was sort of a thing that was happening at the time like again Gwen kind of blew up while this was going on the mm-hmm. Batgirl Burnside thing had just happened Captain Marvel's redesign had been really you know popular um so I think they just wanted to go away from the like crotch triangle <laughs> that we'd had for a long time which you know it's a great costume and it's very iconic but it's not very modern no and it just doesn't make that much sense for what we were doing so yeah the I think edit the I think the editor wanted to change his costume out of the gate. Like I think Nick pitched that before I even said anything about it. And then when Buttgate happened, yeah, we were definitely gonna lean in a in a more conservative direction. That's a weird sentence. But <laughs> to just give her something more practical, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. And beyond that I was just I got to chime in. Like Chris did a lot of um different designs. He the coolest ones he did these like almost Star Trek esque or like naval jacket things with like long coats with buttons down them that were really neat and like an awesome character design. They just didn't make that much sense for like a street level riding around mm-hmm. on a motorcycle, Jessica. Right. Um, mm-hmm. So we kind of took the lines and the basic jacket design of that and then simplified it and motoed it up a bit. So yeah, he he had it all there. It was just a, it was a little bit more military like but like old school naval military meets star trek lines i I don't know but it was really cool but i just couldn't see her wall crawling in it so we shortened the jacket and Mm -hmm. simplified it down and yeah that's what got there if the avengers had dress uniforms maybe that would have worked yes (laughs) yeah exactly star trek next generation dress uniforms is exactly the lines it had except for the coats were a a little bit more coaty and less weird skirt yeah, okay. <laughs> asymmetric skirt. Yes. Uh, so yeah, that's that's 
it was in that direction. And I mean, Chris is so good at designing clothes that each each iteration of it was great. It just we just got it closer to something you could wear with a motorcycle on a motorcycle. Spider Woman is involved with three crossovers in the middle of your run. Start middle, closer to the end. Two of which involve her with the other Spider Women. And I just kind of wanted to talk about how Spider Woman is, is like a in your run becomes a mother to a baby and kind of a mentor to Roger. But also kind of both of those things to Silk and Spider-Gwen? Yes. Well, first of all, can you tell I learned something from Spider-Verse by how I handled the other crossovers? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, like, we, I figured out, and I, uh, that's how I'll do crossovers from now on. The, the thing to do is to figure out what's what's personal about what, about the big event in the life of the character, and how do you tell a story about that that your normal readers will enjoy, whether they care about the crossover or not. Yeah, your Civil War crossover, it just, I was like, oh, this literally feels like it's not a departure, even a little bit. Right. And and that one, like, we had to, you know? I mean, I don't think the intention was for Carol to be the villain of Civil War Two, but she was the villain of Civil War Two. So we had, we had, you know, we had Jess's best friend as the main protagonist or antagonist of this thing. And I just really liked the idea of of it breaking them, but taking a minute, you know? So mm-hmm. yeah, it's it's very much a Spider Woman story. It's what she would be doing during that particular war, and it has some of my favorite character beats too. So yeah, that the way we we launched into it, it's almost like in the middle of an issue of an episode of Rockford Files, some weird war breaks out, uh, and that's that's how we wanted it to feel. And then with Spider Woman too, Spider Woman is a little bit different for me because I wrote the Omega issue, so I wrote part of the like larger story but the spider woman issues of that too same deal like this is just the mission she's on right now like so i wanted it to be very much about what the themes we were dealing with and the character stuff we were dealing with in the in the series and it also helps that robbie thompson and jason latour two really good friends of mine so we plotted all of that stuff together in a room and it was one of the most fun days i've ever had at marvel so it was it allowed us to play off of one another and do what we wanted to do in our books with our characters, but also tell a story that was fun for everyone. Um, before we get to listener questions, other than your own run, what Jessica Drew stories resonate with you the most? I love the weird and horror-y 70s stuff a lot, which, yeah. I mean, that's why we took her back to the street level. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, I've got this digest-sized black and white weird paperback that I've had forever from like a used bookstore, and I read that actually in the hospital when my kids were being born as I was for research. And I love all that stuff. We didn't end up using much of the actual content of it, but I think it's great. Um, I really like Spider-Woman Agent of Sword, I think it's called. The one yeah. where she's killing scrolls. Uh, Bendis and Malieve are awesome together. And I really enjoyed Bendis as Jessica Drew. And that's the most interesting take they had on it, I think. Like her super angry and betrayed and everything after Secret Invasion and just going to kill a bunch of aliens so yeah probably those are probably my favorite things okay and one last fun question before listener questions i've got to ask it because we asked leah and her answer was great oh yes leah williams answer to this question um well i I guess we can say after i ask it but if you could have a crossover between any characters film television comics whatever any characters of your choosing what would it be and why that's a good question. Um, it's just, it's just a very uh, our podcast appropriate question. Yes, as a... I mean, if it's just superhero comics, my answer is easy. But if you expand 
out. Like, well, if it's just superhero comics, we don't want to spoil a pitch or anything. No, because I would do. It would, if it's just superhero comics, I would do Emma Frost and Guy Gardner because I think they would hate each other. It be really fun. <laughs> That's uh, not yeah. dissimilar from Leah's answer, where she just said X Men and Green Lanterns, and we could figure not, out not just Green, like the whole Lantern Four. Yes, like, yeah. like yeah. figure out where they are on the on the emotional spectrum and everything. Yeah, no, that's a good. That's just, it's the same sort of thing. Like I don't know, Guy Gardner is Han Solo with a Green Lantern ring and a bowl cut, and <laughs> Emma Frost is just the greatest character ever. Um, and one of my favorite characters to write. So, like, my favorite comic book character growing up and my favorite character to write, just hating each other, would be really fun for me. <laughs> like, just imagine what she would say about his hair alone. Like, that conversation oh, would so be good. so much fun to write. Well, I think we're batting a thousand on Emma Frost fan guests on, yeah. on the pod. <laughs> yeah. All right. So, let's get into some quick listener questions. Mm-hmm. Don't know. I'm not positive. I'm going to say his Twitter name right. At Nur Revel, yeah, question. At, at Revel underscore Nur. Mm-hmm. Uh, and he asks, just generally, he, he says, "I'll go for the big one." Thoughts on Carol and Jess? What's well, Carol slash Carol Jess. slash Jess? So, so the, the shipping yeah, of the shipping. Carol, Carol and Jess. I mean, I get it. Like it, it, it's one of those things where if they made that canon, could you really argue with them? Like, would you really? No. Like, like people like to ask me when I was doing it, like. Like what is is just straight or bi or gay or and I'm like, well, I'll give you the answer she would give you. It's none of your damn business. <laughs> so yeah, like I I feel like it makes a lot of sense. Again, like they have they have a very comfortable friendship. They have a very like tell it like it is and and argue when you got to argue. So it makes them seem like an old married couple a little bit. Yeah. So I I get it. They're definitely family. They definitely love each other. So it I don't have any negative thoughts about it. I know Marvel won't let me write it, so <laughs> it is which is a bummer, is. right? I okay. I so I did a thing in uh, what was it called in Secret Wars House of M. Yes, the original plot was that Quicksilver and Namor are lovers, and that is why Quicksilver turns on Magneto in House of M World and helps Namor attack the surface world, and. The first issue ended with them kissing, and we got all the way to layouts before somebody was like, whoa, 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 whoa. Like, it's okay to make, like, alternate universe characters gay, but if we're going to make Quicksilver and Namor gay, it's got to be a thing. Like, it's got to be a big deal. We can't just do it in this one little miniseries. Oh. And I'm like, what? what? That's the best time to do it, because if <laughs> people are into it, you could do it for real. Also, I'm sorry, those characters are already gay. Like I didn't do anything except to write a scene. Yeah, that's that's not even that's not even extra dimensional, no. really. So yeah, I, I sort of learned that when you want to do those sorts of things, you you have to tell people ahead of time. You can't just write it into the script. Ah, uh, gotcha. Um, so there is a role play account that responds to all these all the questions when we have guests on. This is um at best teen warlock. Uh, Entity hopeless has killed many teens. Would Entity Hopeless ever kill good robot teen space boy self? I mean, yes. I, <laughs> I'm, I killed, like, my all of my favorite characters in Avengers Arena died and died horribly. So, yes, if we're talking about in fiction, I, I would definitely kill you. Uh, I've never killed anyone in real life and wouldn't. <laughs> yeah. If Warlock existed in real life, no, you would not kill him. This is right, good. No. 
Um, so we we will get to an ad Xavier Files question because I'm really into it. Oh, I I like this one too. Which Spider Woman would win in a Royal Rumble? <laughs> Worlds are colliding, Dennis. There's so many of them. Uh... Yeah, there's just a ton. If you throw Spider Girls in there, there's even more. Right. I mean, probably. I think Jess would because she's got she's got all their numbers. Like, oh yeah. I, I mean, I think she would just take down, especially, you know, like, Silk and Gwen would go down immediately because she knows exactly how to take them out. <laughs> also, like, we established on the cover that she's got Hulkbuster armor, which I think would immediately solve that problem. So, <laughs> it, Jess would either win, or if they put her in first, she'd be the one that, like, it's impressive how long she went. Because, oh, you know sure. I mean? Like, she was in for 47 minutes or whatever. Right. <laughs> she'd get eliminated by the heel who came in, like, really late. And then everybody just like boos them because they've barely been in. Right. Exactly. Right. Um, and yeah, she would just, I mean, she just throws down. We, we showed that a lot. Like you said earlier, like she's going to beat up whoever she needs to beat up <laughs> by the end of the, of the issue. So yeah, I, I don't, I'm biased, but I say Jess. Uh, when I thought about it, I was like, well, I don't know who would really beat her. She's just, like, just the scrappiest one. <laughs> like, I think she could beat up Spider-Man. So that's like no biggie for me. Oh, absolutely. She could beat up Spider-Man. <laughs> At Brawl2099, oh god, I'm losing my voice toward the end of this. Uh, readers, Christy and I have been recording this with a cold, and uh, we're trying our best. Um, was Inferno your first choice to revisit in Secret Wars? Um, what would be your second? But you did seek, you did Inferno and House of M, so maybe if you, if you did like an extra one. Inferno was not, neither one of those were choices. Ah, gotcha. They were, I, I'm trying to think of how that happened. They needed me to be doing something during that because everybody was supposed to have a book. You were supposed to replace the book. But I was also doing Spider-Woman because we wanted to get ahead on the second arc. So, and then I got all new X-Men at that same time. So I kind of just took what was there. Like I wasn't in on the initial planning because my first retreat happened after they had done the planning of those. So no, I hadn't even read anything but the Excalibur issues of Inferno. I had missed it somehow like it was pre my x-men reading in childhood or something so when i went back and read that i was thrilled that that's what that's that's what i got because inferno is so weird like every every the the premise is strange anyway but every different series that tackled it tackled it with a wildly different tone like claremont took it super seriously and x caliber took it serious super not and then there was the I don't remember what it's called. It's like a New Mutants book, but it was called something else. Oh, Exterminators. Exterminators, yeah. It was like a weird Saturday morning cartoon version of it. Yeah, that had Taki, who had techno- technology powers, and it was, yeah, it was very cartoon. Right. And I enjoyed all of them, and it was fun to, like, be able to mix that together. Also, I mean, I got to write Colossus and Domino as a married couple in an Escape from New York plot. So, I, yeah, I... I really really glad i got that even though i would not have grabbed it um house of m i was more excited about because i love house of m conceptually and then due to scheduling stuff and yeah my plot not being approved after the first issue was written and some other things i ended up having to co-write it with colin bunn who is one of my best friends and we co-write really well together so uh, that was a little more of a frustrating process but i had a blast on it and anything if i could grab anything and they were like events, right? Like you, they basically mostly, took... yeah. I think there were a few that were like a little bit kind of their own thing. Like there was a Runaways one, but the 
I, I'm trying to. I don't think I would have written anybody else's book. Like the ones that I read, the ones that that actually existed. I, I can't think of what I would grab. Yeah, because a, a ton were taken. Right. But I think if I were to get to make anything up, yeah, I think like seventies, eighties street level New York would be really fun to write. Like mm. where like Frank Miller Daredevil is the current status quo, and and you'd get to write the like gritty early eighties version of everybody. Like if there's if there's I don't know what the pitch would be, but I think that'd be a blast. Oh, that does sound fun. Um, so our very last question is completely not Marvel related, going toward the the other comic that you are uh, still writing. From Matt Brakensiak, how much creative freedom do you get writing those WWE comics? Well, it helps that our concept is what it is, because what I originally pitched was Friday Night Lights, but the wrestling is the football. So <laughs> we take existing matches from the last few years and tell the story that have like between them which uh, is really nice because it allows us to like fix wwe continuity because they the way they come up with the storylines is to book matches see what works see who's healthy and then pretend like it all makes sense because it's all happening in real time but if you go back and look at it a lot of the stuff wasn't really set up or the switch on the fly or they'll set something up and it'll go nowhere and we're able to take those different pieces, kind of remind you what happened, and then tell the story that happens in between, which wrestling fans really like and have really responded to. And also, WWE loves it because we're explaining stuff. They're a little bit picky about certain things. Like, uh, one story arc, we touched on Roman Reigns not being a super nice good guy all the time. And they didn't, they were not into that. Like, <laughs> I had to completely rewrite. Um, big chunks of that issue because that's not who the character is, not what they want. And I get notes, I get weird notes like Triple H isn't allowed to eat Danishes because <laughs> apparently is a very strict diet. So it's only hummus, right? Well, anytime Triple H has anything food related in the book, it's always an iced coffee because that's the one thing they said that I could give him. And then in the very first issue, I had Seth Rollins screaming, "It's raining men!" as he jumped down onto the Wyatts. And I thought that was hilarious, but yeah, they didn't think that was in character. <laughs> but yeah, usually it's just stuff like that, like little dialogue things, or I can't, it, the worst thing, the hardest thing for me is I really like to have the wrestlers come up with nicknames for each other and make fun of one another. And they almost always scrub those because they don't want the, uh, like any of the superstars to be mocked or belittled or whatever, mm. even though the that would happen in an actual match. Like, it's okay if Kevin Owens makes up a name for Samoa Joe, but I can't make up a name for Samoa Joe and put it in Kevin Owens' mouth. <laughs> so I have to curb that. I don't. Let's be honest. I just write it in there and make them tell me no. <laughs> but no, they're pretty cool. They, the, the, um, the team over there has been really great, and um, the editors at Boom kind of saved me from myself with a lot of that. But I expected dealing with a license like that to be really difficult, and it hasn't been. Oh, that's I, – I, when I heard you were going to be writing it, I was really excited about it. But I thought, man, how like how much of like going through a creative maze is it going to have to be dealing with WWE creative? But if they give you the leeway that you need, then I think that's, that's pretty good. It helps that the book's really popular. Like, it yeah. hit uh, – it doesn't sell super awesome. It sells okay, but it hit critically right out of the gate, and we always get really good reviews. And I think in the past they've tried to do much more outlandish takes on the comics, and they've always been really horribly reviewed. 
So I think they were just like, oh, it's a good product, great. And then they kind of leave me alone. Yeah, I kind of wonder if in, in this day, if you could get away with an outlandish WWE comic, but I don't know. I mean, they probably wouldn't go for it, right? Like, they've been burned so many times with it before. Like, I mean, so- the mandate, what they wanted was the tone of Sons of Anarchy was sort of what they asked for. And I was like, why are you hiring me? Uh, but then <laughs> I, I think once once I started doing it, I got it. Like, I, I'm a wrestling nerd, but I'm also, like, a character-driven comic book writer. Mm-hmm. So I'm able to take really silly stuff and make it, like, relatable. And Which is perfect for wrestling. Yeah, but it's exactly... It's exactly what what those stories need. Like what you can do to those stories in comics that you can't do on Raw every week is add humanity and flesh out the characters in the real life part, and I, that's what that's my bread and butter. That's what I do. So um, yeah, it, it makes sense. I I'm kind of amazed. Like originally when they asked me, they I was like, yeah, I'd love to do a one shot or a short story, and they're like, no, it's an ongoing. Like, ongoing what? Like, what do you mean it's an ongoing? <laughs> and yeah, like I pushed and pushed and pushed back, and they just kept telling me the right things like i said friday night lights and like believe it or not we have that written down here and I'm like okay i get uh, can you pay me okay yeah <laughs> i guess i'm writing wwe but no it's been it's been a blast and the fans love it like it you know it doesn't sell as well as a marvel book but i get so many fans that come up at comic conventions and buy it want to sign it they love the variant covers and no it's it's been nothing but a positive experience fantastic well, uh, before we wrapped up, did you want to uh, kind of tell any of our readers what you would be working on next? I know you've been um, just uh, working on a Cloak and Dagger comic for Marvel. Um, they're, they're digital. Yeah. Digital first? Digital only? It's digital first. Uh-huh. Uh, it's weird for me because I just write it as issues. Uh, right. It yeah, was, right. We didn't know it was going to be digital first when we first started working on it. So, yeah, the first six issues are out. I think the sixth, like the last issue of the first one came out this week so you can download those and then a trade is coming out if not this month then next month and we announced in new york that we're doing a follow-up series which i mean it's the same i guess it's not a follow-up series but it's the same sort of thing six more issues of it so we've got a full year of cloak and dagger and that one is totally very different and like a super cool story that i'm really excited about with new artists and it's awesome so I'm very proud of those. Please check them out. It's weird to do digital comics at Marvel because, like, from my perspective, when I make them, they're the same and the quality is just as high, but they don't get as much exposure. Like, not as many people read them when they first come out. So I'm really excited for them to be out in print and for everybody to check them out. Those are really had a really great time doing those books, and they're awesome. Um, so doing that, I have an unannounced but very very exciting marvel thing that i just got approval on just started working on this week coming up so keep your eyes peeled for that and then in new york i talked to four different marvel editors about stuff so i have a bunch of marvel stuff coming up um it was kind of a weird year because i was finishing up wwe i'm almost done with my part of wwe and i have a creator own book coming out from image next year that i've been working on so it sort of seemed like I disappeared, but I've been busier than ever, and I'm about to be even busier than that. So lots and lots of stuff from Dennis in 2019. So is this creator-owned title? Um, at the last Planet Comic Con, I kind of, I, I was, I kind of, I, I thought it came off friendly, but you might have been like, "Man, that guy's such a jerk." Kind of dunked on your lack of sign, uh, <laughs> no. is it, and you said, "I've got a creator-owned book coming up that I'm going to make a new sign for." So is 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 that the the book that's going to get the sign treatment? 
It is. It is. I have a couple of um, creator-owned things in the fire, but that one, like the third issue is almost done being drawn, which is when you can officially solicit through Image. Oh, um, nice. So we're very close. And I'm, yeah, I'm co-writing that with a huge comic writer who is one of my best friends. <clears throat> and the art is fantastic. And it's a really weird, cool story that I think people are going to dig. So I'm doing that. And yeah, yeah, my banner stand, I used to work for a sign company. So I always had the nicest, coolest banner stand forever yeah. when I had a day job. And it got stolen last year. And I just, yeah, I never replaced it because I haven't had a creator-owned book to throw in there yet so yes i will definitely have a sign <laughs> this next year all right well dennis thank you for coming on um you are one of our absolute favorites i i talk you up and down the internet and you got my wife into comic books so uh, i cannot thank you enough well thanks a lot for having me it's been great appreciate that I thank you for getting me into comics as well it has been an enjoyable experience so, not yeah, one so that i regret <laughs> Yeah, not a, not a kicking and screaming, so definitely definitely <laughs> a good start. Dennis, do you want to say how people can find you on the internet? Yeah, the easiest way, I'm on Hopeless Dent on Twitter, and then I have an Instagram that I post to, but it's mostly like pictures of my kids, uh, but that's Dennis Hopeless Comics Instagram. I do a YouTube show that is also a podcast with uh, Colin Bunn called Missouri Swagger, where we talk about comic writing and silly Missouri things and tell stories about our ridiculous fathers. So if you are interested in that, you should check that out on just search Missouri Swagger on YouTube. Readers, I, I'm a, I'm a pretty big fan of Missouri Swagger, so it has the, the Chris seal of approval. <laughs> All right. And you can find us readers at Chris's pod on Twitter and Facebook. You can email us on chrisisoninfiniteearths at gmail.com. We also appreciate your five-star reviews on iTunes or whatever platform that you use to do your podcasting. Mm -hmm. And until next time, slay your enemies and all you desire shall be yours. <laughs>